I can't quite put my finger on San Antonio's struggles, haven't played against them. They're a very talented team, obviously they're well coached, but their execution and the way the Spurs have historically played has changed. Miami is very good. I like the way they play. I think nine plus guys are playing like 19 minutes or more a game. They distribute the ball well. So I think you look at their roster, it's definitely comparable to Toronto because of their depth, because of their ability to accept roles. Um, they finish the game with different lineups and they have some very talented rookies. What about Houston with James Harden? Have you seen this dunk? It's just a, a terrible mishap, a terrible mishap by the referees. It was a costly mishap, obviously. It's the ref's fault for missing the call, absolutely 100%, but it's the Rockets' fault for not challenging it right away within that 30-second window during the timeout. Welcome to the Heinz Ward episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 86. It pains me to say that because although Heinz Ward is a fantastic player who probably will make the Hall of Fame, he plays for the rivaled Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm not happy with the Steelers right now because they beat us. And we could be out of playoff contention. By us, I mean my Cleveland Browns. But that's another story. Jordan Schultz, welcome back to the Pull Up Pod. I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving. I see the ankle is swollen, and I know you're going through some yes. injuries right now, similar to our Portland Trailblazers early in the season. But you shall recover. We're coming off a of back-to-back. We've won four games out of our last five, dropped a tough game to the Clippers. So we're turning the corner, as I said we would. We've got a big game coming up against the Lakers uh, as a part of our four-game homestand. So I'm excited about that. But it's only right that we talk about the Portland Trailblazers to start the season. Jordan, have you been able to watch us lately? What have you seen that's kind of changed? What have you seen that's changed on our roster? What are you liking right now? I, I like the roster in the sense that Carmelo seems to have reinvigorated you guys. Dame seems to be very comfortable with him. Um, I think the the fact that you have a guy in Carmelo that is in good shape, is making shots. I think he's changed the complexity of the offense. You're getting much better looks. Um, he's obviously very comfortable running the flow offense. It seems like there's a joy to the game that Carmelo has and missed and that him being back on the floor has like changed the way that he approaches things. And I think it's it's very clear how much it's helped you guys. And it's not just on the court. It, it, they're... There just seems to be a comfort level there that wasn't there before in terms of where everybody's supposed to be, the spacing, the cutting. CJ, you've looked terrific. I thought last night against Sacramento might have been your best game of the year. You had 30-plus, um, but you just looked like you were in complete sync and control. And I wonder how much um, or how much different things feel now than they did two weeks ago. I definitely feel like I'm in a better rhythm um, offensively. I think I've played well in the last, I don't know, 13, 14 games, been consistent in terms of the shots, where I'm getting my shots from, uh, averaging almost five assists a game over the last 10. And I think our offense is continuing to become more fluid. Uh, I think early in the season, we were going through an identity crisis. We had a lot of injuries. We had a lot of new personnel. And we had to kind of get that all simulated together. Obviously, Zach Collins gets hurt early in the season. 
Whiteside's in and out of the lineup. Dame gets hurt. And we kind of battled, battled through that that time period of trying to figure out who we were. Obviously, we lost a lot of games. Offensively, we were inconsistent. It was stagnant at times. Play calling has been limited. And then we add Melo. And I think it took us a little time to, to get him assimilated to how we do things, um, our spacing, our culture. And we haven't had more than one or two practices in the last three weeks, but he's done a great job of kind of absorbing, you know, the information we're giving him. He's not He's an obvious talent, but in terms of his basketball knowledge, being able to figure out our spacing, being able to figure out some of our play calls, we've been able to improve every night. And I think he's been contributing well, not just with his play on the court, but, you know, his presence in the locker room, his voice, his leadership. And uh, I think he's impressed a lot of people with um, how he's performed after being off for a year. He's shooting about 45 percent, 38 from three, averaging 17 and getting six boards right now through eight games. And I think our offense has become better um, with with him out there. And obviously Whiteside's presence with him being healthy and having battled those injuries and the hip issues and back issues, he's got a bounce in his step and he's been dominant these last, I don't know, five or six games. And I think we're coming together, right? New Hood's been consistent. Bayes is starting to find his rhythm. And um, I think as the season progresses, we'll continue to get better. But like like you said before, um, it definitely helps when you have a, a, a consistent rotation and you have guys that are healthy. You know, that's that's been a big difference for us. Well, I love the story that was after the game uh, where he turned down the the one-on-one against C.D. Osman, and that it was because he heard you saying, no, no, Mello, Mello. And he, like, the Carmelo I've seen and that was made him so great was that he was a great isolation scorer. And he he turned down a, a pretty clean opportunity to go score, and he might have scored, for what was a better shot. Like, we want better shots if we're the Blazers, right? Like, we, we're going to, the idea is to turn down good shots for great shots, and make the extra pass. And the fact that he was able to, and is able to, willing to make these changes to his mentality, and a mentality that's been very successful, um, is huge. So t- just before we move on from Melo, just give me a sense of like what he, how you see his mentality changing, and also like the comfort level that you have being able to say, this is how we play here. We This is not Houston. This is not Oklahoma City. This is our system. And we need you to adapt for us ultimately to be as successful as we want. No, I think he's been very mature about his approach and methodical. You're talking about a guy who's played in the league 16, 17 years, um, Hall of Fame career, obviously a very talented scorer, 10, 11, 12-time All-Star, has a great body of work as being a dominant individual player who can contribute to nearly any team in the NBA. I think he's had time to kind of figure out how he can be a part of the NBA now, how he can help certain teams, especially us having watched us play, understanding how we do things. Obviously, he's going to get his touches. He's going to be able to go one-on-one. We're going to find strategic matchups and opportunities to get him the ball. But the fact that he's been willing to assimilate himself and become a part of our team, a part of our culture, a part of how we do things in terms of ball movement, in terms of defensive intensity, Mm -hmm. talking. I think his presence defensively has has been greatly felt by our entire roster. On his communication, his shows, how in tune he is on that side of the ball has been a a pleasant surprise for a lot of people, especially our staff. Obviously, in the NBA, teams are going to score, but it's about making it as difficult as possible. And I think the fact that he's willing to make the extra pass, um, you know, he had a one-on-one opportunity Opportunity as, as written in this story in the article by Jason Quick uh, against Chetty, Chetty Osman uh, in Cleveland. I called for the ball as I, I, was, I was trailing. I had a mismatch as well. But I seen Scal 
Scal had a ducking opportunity with a small behind him. He had a great seal. Right, yeah. a great seal. So Melo turned that opportunity to score, which I think he admitted he probably wouldn't have done in the past. He probably would have attacked, uh, which is in his normal nature and his normal instinct. But with the maturity he has now, the understanding of the flow of the game and, and how he can help our team, he gave himself up. He made the pass to me. And instead of me taking a shot or, or going mm-hmm. one-on-one, I made the next pass to Scal. And I think that's a growth, um, a sign of growth for, for all of us, not just Melo, but for me, because the old CJ would have went one-on-one with a big on him. But I, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I felt what he was feeling. Yeah. He, had, he yeah. had a mismatch. I had a mismatch. and But Scal was two feet away from the basket with a great ducking opportunity. And we all gave ourselves up for the betterment of the team. And that's what it's going to take for us to be successful. And I think that's why we're going to turn the corner and, we'll, and, and hopefully get to 500 by next week um, and, and not look back and, and make this push for the playoffs. Speaking of playoffs, one team that has been – immersed in the playoffs over the last two decades, one of the most successful franchises in sports is the San Antonio Spurs. Um, They've been really, it's like death taxes in the Spurs in the playoffs, if you want to make it that simple. The Spurs are 8-14. and Uh, It's the worst start they've had in 23 years. And I'm really surprised because aside from Greg Popovich, I I just think the roster is, is good. Like I, it's not great, but it's good. You talk about DeRozan, obviously Aldridge, uh, you and I both really like DeJounte Murray, um, you know, White. They, they, they have good players. So um, I guess how surprised are you with San Antonio's struggles? And what does it take, similar to you guys, a team that's had a lot of success? Like, what's the mentality of climbing back out of that hole, knowing that it, it's not going to be overnight and that you can't get it all back just within a week? I can't quite put my finger on San Antonio's struggles. Haven't played against them Um they're a very talented team. Obviously, they're well coached, but their execution and the way the Spurs have historically played has changed. You know, they used to be a, a spacing team that moves the ball. No one holds the ball for less than a half a second. They used to shoot a lot of threes, play in transition. Their bench unit a lot of times was able to finish games. They still have a good bench, but the, it's not the same as it was historically. You know what I mean? There's there's no Mono Ginobili. They don't have some of those key pieces that they've had on those championship caliber teams. And I think the fact that L.A. plays in the mid-range, he doesn't shoot a lot of threes. He's a guy who plays one-on-one, so he has post-up opportunities, post-up isolation from more specifically the left block. I think DeMar plays in the mid-range. He doesn't shoot a lot of threes. I think in his last four or five games, he hasn't even attempted a three, so that kind of gives you an idea of the spacing from that from that point of view. DeMar's a great player. He's excellent in one-on-one. He plays pick and roll. He can get his teammates better, but he doesn't shoot a lot of threes. So I think the spacing has changed historically from how the Spurs play. Uh, They have two players who play in in the same kinds of areas, you know, around the elbow, Mm -hmm. around the block area, logo area. And I think that's a challenge that Pop is facing. It's, It's figuring out spacing, figuring out when to play those two guys together, when to play them by themselves. And obviously, you have Alani Walker, who's playing better basketball. Um, you have DeJounte Murray, who's come back from an injury, and they're trying to figure out his his load management from a minutes perspective. I think it's just a lot they're going through right now. And obviously, 20-something consecutive years of making the playoffs, I think they're in a position to, to turn it around at some point. But they have to act fast, just as we do. You know, looking at the schedule, looking at where we're at 22 games into the season, we're in, I don't know, ninth place right now in the Western Conference. Uh, having won four out of the last five, we have to continue to stay hot and win at home because if you wait too long to try to come back in, in yeah. the Western Conference, you'll, you'll find yourself on the outside looking in because there's a lot of depth and a lot of teams who are capable of of getting that eight seed. Yeah, what's interesting with San Antonio, I'm glad you hit on, on L.A. and and 
DeRozan because as good as they've been over their careers, both of them uh, have similar games in terms of the mid-range. And th- that that one-two lineup, whenever they're on the floor together, has been about a negative seven uh, net rating, which is really surprising considering you know how effective they've been. But the, the NBA, as we know, every year shifts more and more toward perimeter play, spacing, and I just wonder like how much more they can change given the DNA of that team. I love Lonnie Walker. I think he's really talented. He was terrific. Uh, he basically now that he's playing, you, you can see how he infuses a different you know type of athleticism and um, creativity to them. But I, it's just a, the roster itself because they don't shoot a lot of threes and make a lot of threes, uh, and because defensively CJ they're not very good. Um, I, I guess I'm. I just wonder, like, what what's the upside for them? Like, how much better can they get? Do they need to make a move? Um, given that their two best players are very much based in the mid range, and both of them have actually maintained very good true shooting percentages, both Aldridge and DeRozan, which to me is even scarier because they're still not a very good offense. <laughs> I think they definitely can improve in terms of health right now. I think that's played a factor. LA's been injured and hasn't played the last few games. I think there's a contract dispute going on between DeRozan and the Spurs. I think there was talks about an extension. They're going through the negotiation process. Obviously, he's due for an extension if he wants one, and they haven't given him that. So I think that's when the trade whispers kind of started, um, trying to figure out is he a long-term fixture there or do they move him for for other assets? Mm-hmm. I've seen rumors about him going to the Raptors and things of that nature. So it's Yet to be determined what they're going to do in terms of trying to blow it up and, and start from scratch and play young guys and, and find assets or trying to make that push for the playoffs. I think they're caught at a crossroad yeah. and, and kind of in between. But they definitely have the talent to turn it around with what they have. They just have to figure out rotations, figure out spacing. How much do you play a guy like Lonnie Walker? What do you do with a guy like Marco Bellinelli? Um, you got Rudy Gay. You have some pieces here who have played in the playoffs who have been in the league for a long time. So it's just about figuring out how to turn this thing around. But I think, like you said before, they have to figure out the future of the franchise. Do they want to Do they want to kind of start from scratch or do they want to make that playoff push? And if that's what they want to do in terms of making that playoff push, they have to get their rotation in order figure out the spacing and try to get back to playing Spurs basketball. You know, running the wedge, running San Antonio weak, San Antonio strong. Some of that flow offense to where it expires in a pick and roll and you have great spacing on the backside. But if they don't, um, I look to see them make some trades uh, around uh, mid, mid to late January. Yeah, I just wonder, to your point, see, about like how long it can go on where it gets to the point where it's not salvageable. Um, it's still early enough where they can absolutely try to fix this. But, you know, you're, you talked about they have a lot of guards and, um, you know, we haven't really seen a lot of Lonnie Walker because he's been out. But now that he is in there, you see he needds minutes. Uh, Pirtle's been very good. Um, but there just doesn't seem to be the identity uh, of the Spurs that we've known for so long, they've blown a lot of leads. Uh, I, I just wonder, like, I guess you're 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 you made the point of just you know waiting a, another month or two to see if they can fix it. But you know, at some point, you just have to say, okay, well, this is not this is not the season. We don't have the personnel, and we have to start thinking about the future. So, Spurs fans, I know you've been very spoiled by a lot of success, and um, they certainly have treated you to championships. Uh, this is, unfortunately, for a lot of teams, life in the NBA, finding that, you know, trying not to be in the middle ground of, like, not a contender but not rebuilding, it's very, very difficult. 
And uh, the NBA right now is, uh, you know, it's a top-heavy league. So there's a lot, and there's a lot of teams. There's a lot of really bad teams right now, which is why I think why we're seeing so much scoring. By the way, we haven't even talked about the scoring. The scoring is out of control, CJ. These 140, 150 games, 130, 80 points at halftime. It's crazy. I know you like it, but I think it's nuts. It's a combination of a lot of things, though. People will talk about the defense or how the game is evolving, but I think what you have to understand is that a lot of guys in the NBA are essentially unguardable. You have a lot of unguardable players where you can play good defense, it's just better offense. The spacing, they know how to manipulate a pick and roll. Guys that know how to draw fouls. It makes it extremely hard to guard certain types of players in this league with how fast the game goes. you got guys who can shoot from 30 feet out off the dribble and catch and shoot. So the spacing and the dynamics of the game are, are changing, obviously. Um, you would like to see more defense being performed, but it's a credit to a lot of guys who've worked on their talent, who've improved. The pace is something that's changed in the game. You know, Historically, compared to where the pace was at in years past, there's more possessions. If there's more possessions, more opportunities to score, chances are you're going to score more points. So there's a lot of things that are factoring into uh, why the scores are, are so outrageous. You look at a team like the Washington Wizards, they're great offensively. And Bradley Bill's getting out and running. He's averaging uh, basically 30 points a game. He's efficient. They got wings that can score. They got Isaiah Thomas. They got bigs that can shoot. And I think you're looking at a lot of teams now to where their, four, their fours and fives have three-point range. And when you have fours that can shoot threes, the spacing dynamic changes completely. And I think that's why you're seeing, you know, some of these outrageous um, scores. Although we're, we're only giving up, like I say, only like 114 points that's pretty good. a night, which is, which is top 10 in the NBA in terms of points given up, but we have to tighten up, and I think the rest of the league is, is going to continue uh, to figure out ways to tighten up. When we come back, we'll talk about the Miami Heat's hot start and who's contributing to their early season success. Stay tuned. Okay, so another team that has been surprising on the other side of the spectrum is Miami. CJ, I really like this Miami team. Um, nine guys playing 19 minutes a game. Uh, two Rookie of the Year candidates and Kendrick Nunn and um, Tyler Hero. Uh, Duncan Robinson's an undrafted guy. Chris Silva, nobody really thought would be all that. He's been terrific in a limited role. What have you seen from Miami? Um, and I guess, is it fair, because this is the comparison I make. I was talking to, I, I, I a lot of people have told me this, and I agree, because um, I felt like this for the last few weeks that they're they're almost like the Raptors were pre Kawhi. They 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 feel like that. A lot of overachievers. They don't really have a true star yet, other than Butler. I mean, they have one guy, one one real star, but they have a lot of players that have come out of the woodworks and really excelled. So, do you see that comparison? And and how how good is Miami? I think Miami is very good. I like the way they play. Uh, they play, I think nine plus guys are playing in like 19 minutes or more a game. They distribute the ball well. Jimmy Butler's like the heart and soul of the team in terms of his leadership. They got Dragic coming off the bench, and he's a guy who can yeah, change the great. game. They got spacing fours and fives. Bam is, is playing out of his mind. He's rebounding. He's scoring around the basket, and he's passing. So I think you look at their roster— as you said before, it's definitely comparable to Toronto because of their depth, because of their ability to accept roles. Um, they finished the game with different lineups, and they have some very talented rookies. They have Duncan Robinson. They got Kendrick Nunn, as you said before, who's in position— 
to be rookie of the year, but not just win rookie of the year. He's in position to land a huge contract in the coming years because of the fact that he's undrafted. Looking at the structure of his deal, you have a similar situation to Wesley Matthews in past years, Alan Crabb, to where they're able to become a restricted or unrestricted free agent earlier than other players because of the fact that they were undrafted. So, you know, be on the lookout for that as well. But I really like Adebayo. I like Bam. I like the way he plays. Um, I think he's he's going to be special. And, and the guy you talked about um, this preseason, you were a huge fan of him, Tyler Hero out of Kentucky. He showed uh, a toughness. He's got the respect of the veterans, not only on his team, but a lot of guys are, are across the league like his mentality, his work ethic, and um, he has a very, very pretty jump shot. Yeah, beautiful stroke. Um, you mentioned Bam. I've CJ, his development is so impressive. He's a very young player still, but when he came in, you know, when he entered the NBA, he was a, a defensive-minded player, a shot blocker, rebounder, uh, you know, basically a lob guy, but now he can score, and he plays so hard. He's so strong physically. Um, you know, through 21 games this year, just to give you guys a sense, he, he's shooting over 56% from the floor, 14 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, which is the biggest deal for me, the playmaking and ability to pass out of doubles because he is getting doubles now. Not a ton, but some. Um, and and then defensively, like, he can switch on guards. Um, he held James Harden to 1 of 7 shooting. He held Russell Westbrook to 5 of 13. Carl Towns, 1 of 6. MB, 1 of 5. Um, and recently against Toronto, Siakam went 4 of 15, really against Bam most of the game. So I... I've been really impressed with him. Uh, is he an all-star this year? How close is he? And and what's his upside, given his how young he is still? I think his upside is the roof, as Michael Jordan would say, um, because of his versatility. He's still so young and raw, but has athleticism. He has skill. He has poise. And he has the ability, like you said before, he can guard a guy like Siakam, but then he can go guard Embiid. He's able to guard large wings. He's able to guard centers, power forwards, and that's a special trait uh, to have in this league. So I, I look for him to be very successful in terms of the all-star games and things like that. I think that's more so down the down the line in his future, but a possibility based on the Eastern Conference and the depths of it, you know, looking at the power forward and center position, you know, essential locks at the center position. Obviously, you got Embiid. Um, who else is a lock to uh, be an all-star as a big man? Yeah, I mean, you could go. It gets hard. It's hard to name three bigs off the top of my head. Yeah, in the in the Eastern Conference, the like East? maybe maybe Al Horford. Uh, I mean, but then you go you go team to team. How many great big men are there in the Eastern Conference? Miles Turner is pretty good. No, um, I mean, but Blake, you go from team Blake to team. Blake hasn't played it's, so until now. So that's another one. Yeah, but Blake's not a center. So right, you got right, Blake. Right. You, you have Drummond potentially. You have Giannis, who's like a power forward. So it's it's debatable. It could be a coin flip depending on how successful they are. You know, as the All-Star break gets near, um, he, he has a case uh, to potentially make it. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about Bam, too. And in terms of the work ethic, uh, his ability and, and willingness to to watch tape, to be receptive to coaching, I think it's really hard for young players, especially pedigree players, like Bam coming out of Kentucky to receive coaching early on. Um, you know, you, you hear nothing but good things about him and his humility. I, I, I really like him. Um, I, I just think he's, you, you said the roof. I, I would agree with you. Um, and I think Miami's the real deal because of how well they've scouted. I mean, we're talking about how many draft picks and non-draft picks are you going to hit on? It seems like every single one Pat Riley hits on. So I've been, I, I really like that team. I, 
I think they're still a piece away, but uh, upside wise between Bam and the and the Heat, I, I really do like like them. Um, okay, the two teams in LA, Clippers and Lakers, both have been really good. What do you like? What can I say about like about LeBron at this point? He's he's been the best, arguably the best player in the league since the beginning of the season. Uh, defensively, we have a stat on our here that 102 defensive rating, which is a big upgrade from him uh, in the past couple of years. So, uh, I guess start with the Lakers. What what would be the deciding factor for them? My question would be with the Lakers and Clippers of them not getting to where they want to go. Like if it doesn't go out well for the Lakers, I, th- I think health. Why? Yeah. I think health is the biggest thing. They have all the talent in the world. They got depth. Um, the Lakers are, are continuing to figure out the rotation with Rondo coming back in the lineup. Obviously, they got Danny Green. They have Contavious Caldwell Pope, who are playing right now, but Avery Bradley is hurt, and they're getting Kyle Kuzma more familiar with his role as he returns from injury. But I think health. Health is the biggest factor, and that's always been a factor in LeBron James' career uh, with his teams. You look at his career with the Cleveland Cavaliers when he had Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. He makes the run to the finals and has to end up playing without Love and Kyrie because of injuries. You look at Paul George, you know, his, his shoulders have recovered, you know, through the surgery, and he's playing extremely well. But Kawhi has been kind of managing some injuries throughout this season to where, you know, they say they're low managing him not playing back-to-backs, but then he misses three or four games in a row. It's something going on, you know, with one of his lower extremities, whether that's his knee or hamstrings or whatever. So that's just something to keep an eye on. He has to be healthy for them to have success. Lou Williams has been healthy throughout his career, but that's just another guy who's a key player for their team. And then you look at, you know, some of their other pieces, um, Montrez Harrell, and then you go back to the Lakers, you look at Anthony Davis. He's battled some shoulder injuries throughout this season. So that's just something to keep a, keep an eye out on. You know, they, they got off to a hot start. They're 19-3 and tied for the best record with the Bucks, And a lot of it is because... LeBron has agreed to be Robin, but he still finishes games as Batman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Controlling the offense, taking those, you know, step back threes. He's got this little move where he kind of looks down and puts the ball in his right hand and, right. and shoots a yeah. three. And he's kind of controlling the temple of everything. And I think they're better when the ball is in his hands. And you look at Rondo, you look at Danny Green, they have defensive-minded players, Javel McGee, Anthony Davis. Caruso. Caruso. Caruso's good. Yeah, these are all guys who are defensive-minded players who can play on offense, and I think that's why you've seen the jump in their defense this year. CJ, I think we're on the same page then that in terms of the Lakers and Clippers, it comes down to health because from a depth standpoint, they're both in great shape. The Lakers are are deeper than I thought, and then the Clippers have you know nine guys playing 20-plus minutes a game and the highest scoring bench in the league with over 52 points per game. Like people would say they haven't played their hardest schedule, the Lakers. I think that's complete nonsense. I think they proved a lot going into Denver and then following that up last night with a blowout win uh, in Salt Lake City um, on a back-to-back. I mean, think about how impressive that is. Yeah, they look good, man. They look engaged. They're locked in. LeBron's on a mission. Uh, He's taking this season personally uh, based on – how last season ended uh, with his injury, with him not making the playoffs. I think he's, everything people have said about him, he takes it personally and stores it for later usage. And he's he's come out with avenges this season. I think AD wasn't happy with how things ended um, with his time in New Orleans. And he's been aggressive. He's blocked shots. He's gotten steals. He's rebounded. And obviously he's a versatile scorer who's changing the dynamic of the Lakers' one-two punch. So are they, because the biggest question mark for me, 
entering the year for the Lakers was would they be deep enough? Uh, the, the, the Clippers are extremely deep. They have nine guys averaging 20 minutes a game. Uh, highest scoring bench in basketball were 52. The, the Lakers are not far behind, though. So do you, do you think both teams are, are deep enough and really you feel like it's a, it's a health thing then for both of them because they, you think they both have what it takes to, to win a title? I think the Clippers are deeper. I haven't, I haven't played them recently last week. Obviously, we play the Lakers soon, so I'll get a better idea of them. But we've played the Clippers two times now. We've played them once without Paul George and once with Paul George. And you can just kind of see the difference in their rotation. They're kind of figuring things out. You know, when Kawhi subs out, when Paul subs out, when they have Lou out there by himself versus when they have Lou finishing games with, with Paul Kawhi and Montrez Harrell, but you look at the Clippers bench, the Clippers bench is putting up 50 plus points a game and 40, 40 of them are coming from two players. Um, but then you got the versatility defensively in like a Mo Harkless mm-hmm. who can guard point guards. He can make the game easier for Paul. He can make the game easier for Kawhi and allow him to rest at times before finishing the game with like a different types of lineups where you got six, seven, six, eight, six, eight, seven foot, six, three. And I think the ability to do that and, and have that defensive presence is a game changer. But the Lakers front court, when you go seven foot, seven foot, you go AD, you go JaVale, you go LeBron, that's basically seven foot, seven foot, six ten, six eight, whatever LeBron is. And then you can go big with Danny Green at the two and Rondo at the one, or you can go six seven, six six guard and have LeBron being the one. So they have some interesting lineups they can use, throw out there and then finish games with. Stay tuned because after the break, we'll discuss the topic on everyone's mind. James Harden's controversial dunk and the ensuing fiasco it created for the NBA. Don't go anywhere. What about Houston with James Harden? Have you seen this odd scenario with this dunk? Did you did you see what happened? Yeah, I seen it right after the game. Um, a lot of guys were talking about it on the bus and watching the video it's just a very strange a terrible mishap a terrible mishap by the referees it was a costly mishap obviously the Rockets still should have won the game they were up 12 13 up up three with the ball with 40 seconds left that's a winnable game for them they ended up blowing it but it's just something that can't happen something that can't happen they have to pay more attention to it and based on the statement on the play uh, released by the referees the Rockets had a chance to challenge the call during the timeout. They spent the 30 seconds arguing and asking questions about, you know, why it wasn't rolled a basket, and they basically blew their window. They lost the window, too much time elapsed, and they weren't able to challenge it. So, I mean, it's the ref's fault for missing the call, absolutely 100%, but it's the Rockets' fault for not challenging it right away within that 30-second window during the timeout. They had a chance to kind of right a wrong and drop the ball, and I don't think... I don't think the NBA is going to go back and allow them to play this out over the last seven or eight minutes because it's too late. Like the schedule is what it is. Like when do you have time to go play 750 of a of a game that's already been been lost? To me, there's just no excuse for the NBA um, in terms of James Harden. Th- this can't happen, especially when you're talking about something so obvious. You know, it's not a minor gaffe, and obviously we know that. Common fouls are extremely subjective. This was not common. There was nothing common about it. You cannot miss this. Uh, Mike D'Antoni should have challenged it or uh, contested it more, but uh, they're not going to replay it. There were seven-plus minutes, eight minutes. The game's over, and and ultimately, in many ways, it, it, co- it could have cost Houston the win. And obviously, there were a lot of subsequent plays that happened, and the Rockets still should have hung, hung on to a double-digit lead against San Antonio, but... 
Um, again, you just cannot miss this call. Yeah, there, there's no excuse for it, and I'm, I'm sure the referees will be penalized accordingly for this, but it doesn't change the fact that the Rockets lost a very winnable game. But you got to give the Spurs credit. You know, they fought back. Um, Lonnie Walker scores 19 in the fourth quarter, brings them back from what should have been an easy win on the road. So um, although this is very unfortunate and it's, it's bad for the game, it's happened. And that's the reality of it. The reality of it is they lost a very winnable game at the hands of a questionable call. But there were still eight minutes left to be played in that game. You were up 12 at the time. So it would change my thought process a little bit if it was one minute left in the game. You know what I mean? And it's like a leak out dunk or something like that. But you're still up 12 at that point. You have to you have to close out that game. And yeah, well, coach, yeah, kind of change course. But yeah, coach speak would say like, oh, we didn't. You know, we deserve to win. One play doesn't define it. You're absolutely right, given the amount of time. If it was football, it'd be like pass interference with the Rams and Saints. You know, like that loss in the game, but also they maybe they shouldn't have been in that position afterward or before, I guess. Uh, like, but th- but but that was a lot worse. I mean, that that was for the Super Bowl, and that that was that actually created a rule change. Yeah, I'll, I'll let I'll let the. Uh, the NBA deal with this uh, in due time because this cannot happen again. Um, so I guess to my my biggest question for you, most importantly, is what was your Thanksgiving uh, menu and what what type of grape juice did you enjoy, indulge yourself in? <laughs> I had a fantastic Thanksgiving. I meant to ask you about yours on, on here. I'm glad you did. Uh, we had ham, turkey with smothered gravy, um, Collard greens, uh, baked macaroni and cheese, um, dressing, cornbread, uh, red velvet pound cake oh, with uh, with uh, walnuts on top, okay. and we had a banana banana nut pudding, um, ice cream, something. Chef B made it was sensational. Uh, it was everything I could desire and more. I really enjoyed it. And then Elise and I made some uh, sugar cookies and took them to Dame's house later on. Uh, we put, like, frosting on them and all that stuff. She baked the cookies. I basically just decorated them. But it was sensational. And I had I had quite a bit of wine. Um, okay. Quite quite a bit. Let me go back to the, go back to the archives to see it. But I had an Oregon Pinot, and I had, an, I think it was an Italian wine. Trying to go back to the picks. I'll send you a picture of it. I had a two- cue the wine music. I had cue the wine music. I had a 2009. I think you. I think it's called uh, Amaron de la something. I can't say, but it was very, very tasty, um, fruity, full body Joan. But you felt it go down smoothly. It wasn't a disturbance to the Thanksgiving meal. It was the type of wine that you can drink with food. Or indulge by its lonesome. Sounds great. That's the type of wine it was. But I'm gonna send you a picture of it. It was, I think it's an Italian wine. Honestly, it's it's in like a crazy font. It's hard for me to read, but I really enjoyed it. And I'll send you a picture of it right now. That sounds lovely. Um, so basically, the McCollums don't mess around on Thanksgiving. No, no, we don't mess around. Uh, we know what we want. We know what we like, and we get it done. How, how was your Thanksgiving? Where'd you end up eating at? Yeah, my Thanksgiving was was great. I tried to be good. Um, I actually was quite 
impressed with my discipline because I really didn't want to have that like post Thanksgiving hangover, not only from the wine, but just of that food coma. So I, I kind of indulged in everything, but I didn't go crazy. Um, we had some great wine, some Italian wine, a great Barolo. I don't have it. I couldn't find the name. I, I didn't take a picture of it foolishly, but I, I'll get it uh, next week if I can find it. Um, but great Barolo. And then also just the pies like that. That's the pecan pie for me is like the go to pecan pie. That That's the ultimate for me. And we also had homemade ice cream. Which you can't beat. Homemade ice cream is amazing. I love homemade ice cream. So I'm glad you were able to do that. How much wine did you drink? So Wednesday night, like a pre-Thanksgiving, I was I thought, okay, I'll just have a glass. I ended up having a good two and a half, three glasses. Uh, Thanksgiving day, I only had like maybe a, a glass and a half. And then Friday, we all just drank a lot because we, we had all this great wine that we felt like we, we needed to drink. So like Friday and Saturday, we all just... Uh, kind of let loose how about you i we alisa and i had two bottles to ourselves love it uh, <laughs> love it it was a long day though obviously you, you spread it out so you know you you have the first bottle with the first plate and a half you, you watch tv we watched some football took a nap and at nighttime we had another bottle or half a bottle basically as we we eat again watch some netflix kind of relaxed and then uh and then we sh- crashed. The, the crash was so real from that from that turkey. Oh wait, you just sent this great bottle. Here it yeah, is. Yeah, I, I sent the bottle to you. I can't read it. I don't know if you can, but it's really good. Something something Giuseppe. Classico 09. That's a beautiful bottle. Wow, beautiful bottle. Okay, we'll try to get that on the updated updated wine list. Yeah, the price point is ridiculous. So so listeners, I'm sorry in advance. It is a bit ridiculous and. Before we get off here, I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out my homie Draymond Green. Shout out to my guy Draymond getting his jersey retired and his number retired at Michigan State. Friend of the show. Worked extremely hard to get to this point in his life to where he's won championships. He's uh, been all NBA. He's been an all-star. He signed lucrative deals. And now is immortalized in Michigan State history by having his jersey hanging in the Raptors. I know what that means to him because I've had the experience of working to have that dream come true. The reality of it, the excitement of it, the emotions that go behind it, you you kind of reflect on everything you've gone through um, from a child to now, the work ethic, the sacrifice, the doubts, the injuries, um, the struggles, the turmoil, the success, everything kind of comes full circle. And uh, it's, it's a it's an emotional roller coaster ride that you are excited for and thankful to be a part of. So shout out to my guy, Draymond Green, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. On the other side of uh, Michigan State, Michigan, I want to give a shout out to Jawan Howard, who is uh, one of the great dudes around and definitely going to get him on the show, CJ. They had a hell of a run. They won the battle for Atlantis, beat Gonzaga and North Carolina, and uh, they went from unranked to number four in the country. So excited to have Jawan on. He's, he is a great dude, and and uh, it's a great story. I think he's the early season college basketball coach of the year. Um, albeit in December. So I'm excited about that. That's awesome. We're looking forward to having him on. I got a chance to watch them. I love the intensity um, he coaches with, uh, the way he's able to, to get through to his players. And the fact that they went from unranked to fourth in the country is amazing. So that's a that's a dope little um, story to tell. You know, Because a lot of people were doubting the hire. They're saying he only got hired because he played. And all nonsense. All that stuff. But it's all obvious nonsense. he knows... He knows what he's doing. He's able to recruit. He's able to execute and coach. And it shows. 
We appreciate all our listeners out there tuning in faithfully. Uh, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, radio.com backslash pull up with CJ or wherever you get your shows. Um, enjoy this week. Don't forget to continue the Christmas shop because Christmas is on its way. And don't forget to pull up, pull up, 